0: Yeah. Um, Welcome to the aftermath. Um, This is Hangout in the Holy Land, episode 17 of the 2020-21 season. Um, It is Tuesday morning and we are picking up the pieces. I'm George Eisner, joined by my co-host, Gene Ross. And uh, Gene, how many hours of sleep did you get last night?
1: You know, what kind of made it easier is the fact that the game was kind of over at half. So you had like another half of football to digest and just be like, you know you really get you really get to look back and reflect on everything and at the end of the day uh you know this season almost didn't happen at all so to make it this far we can only be so upset but you know obviously the way that the game went was not ideal in any way shape or form uh pretty much everything that could have gone wrong did go go wrong for ohio state and it uh, wasn't exactly the most fun national championship to watch but you know like i said uh, you know there's still still some highlights to the season, still uh, some positives to look to and uh, it was it was a little it was a good escape from everything else that was crappy that happened in 2020 to watch some football a few Saturdays. So all in all, not terrible, but obviously not how you would have wanted it to come to an end.
0: No, and I think it is getting overblown a little bit. I mean, people are acting like the game wasn't competitive at all. Uh, it was tied after the first quarter. It was clear Ohio State couldn't defend uh, Alabama or simply wasn't interested in defending Devonta Smith, rather. But I, I we had a quarter and a half where the game was very well within reach. I didn't even necessarily think they were out of it at halftime, or Going into halftime, I thought if they could get a stop on – uh, that drive that they had with about three minutes left when they were going to have to punt, I thought it would be fine. But then when Wyatt Davis injured his knee and they're going to have to give the ball back on fourth down, and they're watching, you know, one of the most significant leaders on the team uh, get not carted off, but helped off, and you know can't really go anywhere under his own power. I mean, that's that's devastating for any football team, and I think that's that's probably the moment where it seemed like things probably slipped out of you know still being competitive i still watched the second half um it was i'll, I'll be honest i think i paid more attention to twitter just because it was it, it, it was nice to you know after all the things we've uh lamented about tough borland for you know for me it's been like 3 years for you i'm sure it's been a similar timeline and we will definitely get to mr borland later on um but yeah i <laughs> it's I, I I don't even I I lost my train of thought in the middle of where I was going with that just because the thought of Tough Borland in my head made me so mad again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like I, I honestly almost felt bad for him yesterday because like it wasn't even his fault. Like it it's obviously he's not like to have not to have him one on one on Devonta Smith is just the worst possible thing you could do. And like I was getting texts from friends who don't really follow college football, and they're like, "Why the hell is is number thirty two covering the Heisman winner?" And I'm just like, I I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. So like uh, obviously we we've we've had a ton to say about Tough Borland in a negative light and for good reason at some points but I mean at a certain point uh, last night wasn't even his fault the fact that Ohio State was playing four linebackers on the field against one of the greatest air raid offense college football's ever seen is just completely baffling and is just indefensible in my eyes I don't I don't understand what Kerry Combs thought he was doing I don't know why we didn't really there wasn't even really any changes after half the only reason Alabama didn't score another 40 points was because Devonta Smith didn't play for most of the second half so I don't know what the defensive game plan was coming in, and I don't know why nothing changed, but it was, it was really tough to watch because I think Ohio State had the players to maybe hold Alabama under 50, but when you're, when you're playing that kind of defensive scheme and the way that they were setting up their defense, they were just giving themselves no chance in the world to make any stops whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I I didn't think we were going to win this game, but I I remember, you know, we when we recorded after the Indiana game and we were very much, you know, lamenting what the fate of this team would be based on what we saw in that. Um it was very evident in that game that once Indiana just decided to throw the ball as much as they possibly could, that Ohio State was having problems. I have to imagine Saban probably watched the film of that game religiously um, because it it there were similar feelings to that entire game last night that you had in the second half with Indiana just in terms of that helplessness. Uh, one thing that one immediate comparison I can recall is uh, Marcus Williams gave Williamson gave up one of the really bad touchdowns in the Indiana game just because he totally blew his zone assignment. And then last night, obviously the the clip that's going to be seared into everyone's head forever is Borland, you know, tumbling after Devonta Smith with turtle like speed. But a lot of people were pointing out that if you um, you know, you expanded the image the whole field a bit, you would see Williamson blew his assignment over the top, and that's why Smith was just you know running free in the back end without anyone to give Borland any support, but you know it's like you said uh Coombs clearly did not have the right scheme and i you can't 100% put the blame on the players cuz the coaches have to put them in the right position to succeed and they at least Coombs clearly did not do that last night um but i i i i had more than a few instances last night where i was pretty frustrated with the personnel out there and it wasn't just Borland um you know there were there were more than a couple guys that you um you know, we're a little disappointed in, I, I think, the effort at various points in the game. But I, I think that my I, I would probably go it at like one a coaches, one B players, one B might be a little bit harsh. um But, yeah, I think I think pretty clearly the public enemy number one in the Ohio State fan base on uh, uh, today is Kerry Coombs.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously it sucked not having uh, Togiai and Tyreek Smith. Those are two of Ohio State's best defensive linemen. I think a lot of what Najee Harris was able to do up the middle and just off the edge was a direct result of not having those two guys in. And, you know, especially because having Zach Harrison back was cool and all, but he he hadn't played in now, what, like a month pretty much. So, like, he's coming in rusty. You got all these guys that have been playing behind Togiai. You still had Haskell Garrett, but... Togi was really that big body run stuffer up the middle, and he was just so solid all year. And that's a big reason why Ohio State's run defense was as good as it was. And without him, you saw, you know, a much more success from Alabama in the run game. You saw uh, Mac Jones be able to take some runs up the middle for some gains, even though he's not very mobile, that you might not have seen if Togi and Smith were in there. But overall i think just that like we've seen in the past like guys were just out of position like even if the players like i don't think the players were that bad where they're just going to get torched over and over again by alabama's offense even though that offense is obviously disgustingly good like that was an incredible offense and mirrored almost joe Burrows at lsu the numbers were better because ohio state's defense played so bad but i think just i think they're almost similar just on uh, on a talent aspect anyway but just, I, I I couldn't believe the kind of the things I was seeing on defense. The amount of times that Devonta Smith was just completely wide open. And, and, like, I had friends being like, why aren't they doubling him? And I'm just like, why aren't they even singling yeah. him? There's no one on the same side of the field. No. Like, he, he's catching a 20-yard pass without somebody within 10 yards of him. And I just don't know how you how that happens when you come into this game knowing that he's the Heisman winner, he's the best wide receiver in college football. How do you not have a game plan that's centered around stopping that guy? If you're going to get beat by Alabama, you can't let him have... Two hundred fifty yards in the first half—that just you can't do it. No,
0: absolutely not. I I want to loop back to what you said about Alabama's running game, but just to kind of acknowledge what you just said, um, it it seemed pretty apparent on the first drive of the game that um, they just they they were going to let Devonta Smith beat them. They wanted to shut down every other option that Alabama had and and say, you know what, this guy's going to get his, and we might as well just let him get his. I don't think Bama thought that they were going to do that on the first drive because that's an insane proposition uh, to try out. And I think that after the first drive, they realized that that was the defensive game plan for Ohio State. They opened up the bag and said, what are all the best ways we can get Smith the ball because Lord knows they're not going to be able to keep up with him. And that is – I mean – uh it, it takes a smarter person than me to figure out why you would leave a Heisman trophy winner alone particularly the first one to win it as a wide receiver in over 2 decades I just, it it's baffling to say the least but um you know a real quick point i want to make about Alabama's running game um you know if there's one if there was one defensive coach last night that i don't think really deserved a lot of heat it was Larry Johnson who was working with as you noted not Tyreek Smith not Tommy Togiai um, you know, Najee Harris had the goal line carries, but I mean, he only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. He got it 22 times. He didn't even break 80 rushing yards. And after the game, there there was a journalist who seemed or if not happy that Ohio State lost, seemed pretty um, you know, rosy about Alabama winning and he asked Najee Harris, "Ohio State has a really good front. How are you able to expose those holes so effortlessly?" And Najee Harris said, and I quote, effortlessly you didn't see what they was doing they was blowing my ass up what are you talking about it wasn't effortlessly i'll tell you what They did their – bro, to be honest with you, they did their thing. It was just what they did is every time we did a play action, they just shot the gaps, shot the gaps. The linebackers, we got a couple of them to play a lot of fakes. That's what they were able to throw so much bubbles and slants and all that. But, bro, they was blowing my ass out. It was not easy. I am hurting. So Najee Harris clearly had a lot of respect for the, the performance up front that Ohio State had on defense last night. Um, I think just because he, you know, had those run over carries and so many of them, that it probably looked a little bit worse than it did. But I, I, I credit the Ohio State line for sticking it out last night. Um, and obviously, once it started to get into the relief time, and um, you know they were given Brian Robinson Jr. carries, you know the game was kind of already out of reach at that point. But when they were still competing, I thought they did a pretty good job with Najee Harris. I thought the whole team actually did a pretty good job with run defense last night. Tackling needed to be cleaned up a bit once they got beyond the line of scrimmage, but if there's one thing you can say the defense did reasonably well last night, I think holding Najee Harris below 80 rushing yards on over 20 carries is something to hang your hat on.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was like Najee Harris was running free out there. I just thought there was a few plays where, like, he got, instead of holding him to two yards, he would get four or five. Absolutely. And it just felt like that, yeah. that started to add up. I actually thought the tackling, at least in the first half, where, like, Ohio State was clearly more interested, I thought tackling was really good. There were some really nice tackles by Wade, and I think there was one by either Proctor or Hilliard that was just, they were blowing guys up, like, at the line. Like, they looked like they were coming out physical, and like I said, I don't think really the defense is is any one singular player. I mean, Sean Wade had another tough night, but you're putting him out there on an island with Devonta Smith. So what do you expect? And I just I don't think any of the really defensive issues came down to individual efforts. Um, the defensive line, like you said, was shorthanded, but they played well. Um, they didn't really get a lot of pressure, but for who was out there and for what they had to deal with, they they did a good job up front. Uh, the linebackers were okay. They did, uh, as Najee Harris detailed, they were, they were biting on fakes like crazy. That's why Alabama's offense is so good. There was so much misdirection. Uh, that one play they ran to Devonta Smith where he, like, faked into the backfield and they went the other way and there was just no one there to cover him. That was a really, really well-defined, de- uh, designed play by Steve Sarkeesian. But, yeah, I mean— I don't really know what else to say about Ohio State's defense. Honestly, the most upsetting part of the game to me was that Trey Sermon got hurt on the first drive, and it clearly it threw off everything Ohio State wanted to do on offense. I think they were going to try to throw out of the backfield to him a lot more, like we saw a little bit against Clemson. They tried it a few times to Teague, and he either dropped it or went nowhere with it. So I think that was going to be a big part of their offense because it was in the. We actually talked about it on our, one of our preview podcasts. They've struggled with that this year a little bit. Uh, the running back wheel routes and stuff, and I think they were going to try that with Sermon. Obviously, he gives you a little more wiggle than Teague does, and he's just, he's been hot, so you got to feed the hot hand. And I think losing him right off the bat really, really stung Ohio State, really, it was almost like a gut punch from Alabama, but it was on their own accord because it was their own injury, but it really just sucked the wind out of the team, it seemed like, and from there on out, it kind of slowly slowly went downhill from there. No,
0: their, their game plan absolutely got affected. I mean, he was the best player on the field for them in the Northwestern game. He was the second best player, arguably, in the offense for the Clemson game. Um, you know, you go with the guy that gets you there, and I, I think he was probably going to feature in that game plan last night the way that alabama played the game against ohio state is the way that ohio state needed to play against alabama to win which was get the early lead and then grind it out but keep you know keep putting up points but you you need to kill as much clock as you can while you're doing that to just give their offense as little time to operate as possible losing the coin toss was pretty unfortunate cuz i mean that just you figure you're kind of going to be in a hole already against a team that averages 48 points per game Um, so I, that was kind of a bad omen. Obviously him getting hurt was worse. Um, the, the weird thing, I, I, I would be curious to see how many checkdowns field attempted last night that weren't like, you know, designed screen passes to Teague or something. Cause the one play that Trey Sermon stayed in for where he still had a broken clavicle or collarbone, uh, fields obviously tried to check down to him and the ball got swatted down, um, and so it was it was clear that they were going to have Trey there as a safety valve, and I think Fields definitely could have made use of that at various points in the night. Um, but it, it Teague definitely just doesn't have that that slippery running nature that Sermon does. Uh, Sermon definitely seems like he's the more agile of the two. Teague's side to side mobility is not great. Um, his, his vision at times hasn't been super great either. Honestly, I thought it was better last year, but he was also playing in more of a reliever role last year behind Dobbins when a lot of defenses were already gassed. I still like Teague a lot. He was only a sophomore this year. He's going to be back this year. He, he, uh, him and his parents or his parents I saw they posted a pic of them in the dorms with him on social media and they were talking about how proud they were of him and how it was his dream to play in a national championship and that's why he came to Ohio State. So I have to imagine that you know T got the opportunity to you know live out one of his dreams last night and it didn't really go the way he wanted. I think that that he's going to be one of the most motivated guys this year and that he's going to come back next year. And I think he's going to have a really great season. I'm really excited about what uh, is in store for Master Teague in the future. I was a little disappointed in him this year, but I think the Buckeyes were fortunate that Trey Sermon came into the fold and was kind of able to pick up his slack towards the end of the year a bit.
1: Yeah, and, and Master Teague was another one of those guys that was just kind of a victim of the situation. Here's another guy who was out for almost a month since the, the uh, Big Ten Championship, and now he's he's thrust into the biggest stage in the national championship after Ohio State's whole game plan was probably built around Trey Sermon. And so he didn't have a bad game. Uh, he had two touchdowns, but um, he obviously wasn't the same explosive kind of runner that we've seen from Sermon the past couple of weeks. But I, I thought overall... Ohio State's offense was kind of weird to me. I don't know how much of that was affected by losing Sermon, probably a lot of it. But it just seemed like they were super conservative when they really couldn't afford to be against a team like Alabama that was scoring at will. There was a few plays where I was like, what are are we doing here? There was just like, we kind of laid down and died super early. Like, there was in the first half when they had the ball with like a little time left. Like, they didn't even attempt to score. They kind of just ran it out and then punted the ball back to Alabama late in that first half. Um... They ran the worst fourth down play I've ever seen at Ohio State in the second half where they just kind of ran Master Teague to the outside on, like, a hurry-up, and it wasn't even close to working. I don't know what they thought was going to happen there. Probably should have been, like, an option keeper with Fields or something, but either way. I mean, then in the fourth quarter, even, like, the game was over, but, like, they had—they were on, like, one of their last drives of the game, and they had all three freshman wide receivers on the field with Fields still out there, and it's like— uh, why are we like we're we're like punting the game away in the national championship and i know like you're not probably going to come back but why not still like try why not take some deep shots with Olave and wilson to just try to make it if not look more respectable try to like get back in the game maybe score quick try to get an onside do something don't just like give the game away at the late stages of the national championship I just thought the play calling was a little weird, and I do think a lot of that was sermon-based, but I also think that like we kind of just we played a little too conservative at times, where we really couldn't afford to be, especially knowing on the other side of the ball what kind of offense they were dealing with and how their defense looked against that offense.
0: Uh, I'm starting to think Ryan Day is kind of... I mean, I, I, I think maybe a lot of coaches would describe themselves as this, but he, he strikes me as somewhat of a, a rhythm or hot hand guy, and what I mean by that is... He has so many games, you know, it already like two years into his career as a head coach, um, big games where he makes every single decision pretty much correct. Um, and, you know, there's hardly anything after the game that you really can harp on in terms of his decision making. And... Uh, I, you you know you just got to tip your hat to the guy because it's extremely impressive that he's been able to do that. Uh, Clemson is definitely one of those games I think that is a great example. Uh, the Michigan game last year would be another one. So he's he's got a lot of high profile games where he does everything right. The issue is when things kind of get funky, his decision making can kind of get a little funky too, and he kind of you know goes outside of what you know, you would expect him to do. Ryan Day is one of the most aggressive coaches at going for it on fourth down, I think I've seen. And that's coming off of Urban Meyer, um, who would almost religiously go for it on fourth and one uh, when he was Ohio State's coach. So, yeah, for them to have that fourth down and and for them to just kind of punt it at that point of the game where you really feel like you haven't really stopped Bama yet, if they score again this starts to get dangerously out of reach you know do you really want to you know put your fate back in the hands of the guys that are kicking your butt or do you want to take control of your own destiny for what might be your last time to do it and they punted and uh that's you know it's disappointing to see from Ryan Day um i'm sure if they had gotten a stop on Alabama people maybe and you know the game script goes differently from there you know, maybe Ohio State gets the ball back and they score before half and then suddenly, you know, it's a much more competitive ball game um, going into the halftime where, you know, you've got a 14-point differential in a scenario like that versus what actually happened. Um, it's it it's just I, – I hope that he – if I have one thing that I hope to see from Ryan Day, it's that he just kind of does a better job of remembering who he is and what – he does well and his team does well when things start to get weird like they did in this game, because things start getting weird and then things start going wrong. And, you know, we saw that in the second half of the Indiana game uh, this year, we saw that in, you know, certain ways in the Northwestern game, particularly in the first half, we didn't see it at all in the Clemson game, which, you know, made me feel pretty optimistic coming into this, that they were going to do the right things and put their players in the right position. And, you know the Trey sermon injury, I think, for the offense, you can kind of make you wonder if you know they ever had a fair shot at doing that on offense. But it clearly wasn't the case on the defense. And uh, yeah, I hope that I hope the coaches, all of them, including day, have a real you know look back at what happened in this game and figure out you know what they can do, what they can't do anymore, and what they um you know need to look like going forward,
1: yeah. and and what's kind of crazy about this game is that for everything that happened, Ohio State, like, got back into this game in the third quarter, and, like, it seemed like they didn't really realize it. Like, at, with like, six minutes or so, I think it was almost seven minutes, left in the third quarter, Ohio State cut it to 38-24 after that Garrett Wilson touchdown. And then they just kind of fell apart. Like, they if they would have been able to get a stop, they could have cut the game to seven going into the fourth, and it would have been a ball game. especially because Devonta Smith never came back. And, I mean, Alabama only scored 17 points in the second half. So... I don't really know like why they they took the foot off the gas. They weren't taking really many deep shots against a a passing defense that hasn't been very good at stopping those kind of deep shots this year against good offenses. And it's just like they they didn't really know what to do once they got there. That that pass from Justin Fields to Garrett Wilson was awesome on that touchdown, but then they just didn't the defense couldn't hold up. They let up like another I think it was like another like 4 minute touchdown from Alabama right after that. And there there was a tweet I saw either today or last night, from 11 Warriors, where it said Ohio State finished the season ranked 122nd out of 127 teams in past events this year. Yeah, bad. And, right. and I, that's just, I mean, even, like, for how bad they were, like, for Ohio State to be... Almost a dead last in college football in passing defense is just unacceptable. They're not, it's not a bunch of walk ons out there. They BIA, got four and five baby. star guys out there. Yeah, like you can't claim DBU and then be almost dead last. Like you have, that's four and five star guys out there. That comes down to coaching. That's not acceptable at a place like Ohio State to be that putrid defending the pass. No.
0: And I, I wonder how much Cam Brown getting hurt um, kind of affected their season because we know he's definitely a faster guy than Seven Banks is. And I wonder if maybe he would have been a little better of an option for their secondary corner maybe you know that they've got a rotation of like three guys that they can rely on you know maybe they're able to you know give one of them a breather when they need it so you know Wade's not getting put out to pasture by Devonta Smith every other snap um but yeah they um one of the things that has been hit on a bit with is how with that you know that gap when Coombs left and has now come back that there was kind of that that Gap in recruiting for DBs that seems to have been rectified for the near future. Um, But it, uh, yeah, people thought, I guess, looking or I I mean, if you've been looking at this team for a while and you saw that that probably concerned you, especially with, you know, coming up against an air raid offense like Bama. I guess I just wanted to believe that Ohio State was going to have an easier time scoring against Bama's defense. I'm not necessarily surprised by the fact that, you know, Bama blew the doors off points-wise because we all knew what the offense was. But it was – the the defense was not supposed to be, I think, as good as they played last night. I think Alabama's defense might have played their best game of the season last night um, considering the talent that they were facing off against. It's um, – yeah, it's it's just very dis. I, I, it's hard. It's funny because I I started the show and I said we we should start with you know, let's let's try to each find a positive and then just kind of work our way down from there. And and now it's you know we're just letting it all out. And it's uh it's it's a lot more bad than good as I keep as I keep saying all this stuff out loud.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I put out actually just just published as we're recording this now on uh, Tuesday afternoon. I put out like a kind of a 2020 season highlights of Ohio State. There's obviously a lot of positive moments. I left out the national championship altogether because I figured not many people would want to relive that game, even though it was a national championship. So. In my eyes, the season ended with the Clemson game. It was obviously a big big monkey to get off their back. They, they got that win out of the way. season was building towards. They had that score hanging in the locker room all year, so it was good that they were able to get that done at least. Obviously, playing at all was a huge accomplishment. These players sacrificed a lot to play this year. They didn't get to see their families for months. They kind of just shelled themselves off from the world to try to play football and battling through COVID and all these other things, the Big Ten messing everything up at every turn. Uh, they went through a lot, and so to even get that far was really impressive. And it sucks to have to end in this such a negative fashion. I really wish it was a more competitive game. I, I just, like, I wasn't surprised that Alabama scored 50. Like, if you'd have told me Alabama scored 50 points, I'd say, okay. But I, I it's the way they did it. It just seems so effortless. Like, I thought they'd have to work for it. And, and for a large portion of the game, they really didn't. They just, Mac Jones said, where is Devonta Smith? And then just lobbed it up and he made plays. That was really,
0: that's what it came down to. Well, I mean, it's. It's easy to do whenever you want when you run an air raid, and uh, the guy in the middle of your defense runs a six-second flat forty-yard dash. I mean, and, and I mean, uh, you heard the Najee Harris quote I read earlier. He said the biggest issue was, at least for Ohio State's linebackers, was they kept biting on the fakes. Well, Borland, for how you know high his football IQ supposedly is, you know th- that guy's got to be the smartest player on the field to play at the pace that he plays at. If he makes even one bad read, he's all he's automatically out of position. And so on pretty much every play last night, tough Borland was automatically out of position. I know he finished the game with the team leader in tackles, you know good for him. That's it's like been the, the thing his whole career is just making tackles. And uh, he can't make any other plays. Uh, and look, the Devontae Smith thing fine. That that may be a little unfair, but one of the plays that drove me absolutely nuts was another Smith play where I, I believe it was Smith, where they went back around. Um, they, w- w- it was they, it was. It looked a lot. It looked very similar to when the play where Baron Browning got the strip sack, where he came off the edge untouched and just was able to go straight after Mac Jones. But this time they were Alabama was expecting it, and they had Najee Harris coming around as a safety valve in motion, completely, you know, not manned up or looked after or anything. Just kind of dumped it to him. Uh, Borland not only missed him in the flat, but then was was trying to, you know, chase him down from behind. I think. and this might have been Smith. It might be confusing two plays at this point, but he had so many. He was so out of position last night. I mean, it's, you know, the, the whole defense looked like a pretzel, but it he, he, he was getting beat by the ball carrier multiple times on the same play on multiple plays. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I don't expect Ohio State to win this game. I really want them to beat Clemson. Um, you know, I'm glad they beat Clemson. If they don't beat Alabama, just don't let it be because they didn't put themselves in the best position to win and i i I think back to the Northwestern and the Clemson games, and there were more than a few instances where I recall Borland not being on the field, where they had Pete Warner running the middle of that defense um where they or Pete Warner, they were they were doing a really good job of getting other guys out there and rotating in that weren't tough that were faster than tough to play the coverage that they needed against Clemson. I would be very curious to see how many snaps Borland played last night versus the previous two games because I have to wonder if you know Coombs in particular was just doing something like a loyalty service to Borland and letting him stay out there because he's a senior and a three-time captain and not coming back next year, we hope. Uh, but it's very I, – I i would expect that from Jim Trestle because that's what his MO is, but for a coach like Ryan Day who has, you know, been so good about winning and, you know, trying – and, you know, working to wins and winning the right way um, – and just trying to be as competitive as possible. I, you are not putting yourself in a position to be the best team you can be if you are giving that guy more than half of the snaps at the center of the defense. And they got absolutely crucified for it last night.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't even just, like, obviously tough struggle, but, like, just having four linebackers on the field at all is just a huge disadvantage against a team like they were going up against. I don't know, like, that that would never work against any kind of team, especially with the level of talent that Alabama had. That that specific defensive alignment will literally never work against a, an air raid offense that has any type of speed. That's just, you are putting yourself, like you said, you're not putting yourself in the, the best chance to win, and that's really what was probably the most frustrating about the game is that I didn't feel like you know Alabama was this, that much better than Ohio State that they're going to beat them by 28 but but the way that Ohio State played they definitely were because Ohio State just put themselves they gave themselves no chance on defense to make any plays whatsoever. Alabama took whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it and they Ohio State refused to make any adjustments. And I don't know, There's going to have to be some tough conversations in the offseason about this defensive staff. And uh, yeah, and, you know, you alluded to it earlier how there were there were some recruiting misses in the past few years, you know, the Taver Johnson and Alex Grinch uh, years kind of set this program back in the defensive back department the recruiting was down those years and now we have this as a result and you know uh, the, the recruiting has been better this year obviously you know they have some, some big name guys coming in the next couple classes so that'll get the secondary will get better as we move forward but you know, we're seeing the fruits of that labor now come to to pasture and it's it's uh it's tougher to call some better schemes when your players aren't as talented. Obviously they don't have a Jeff Okuda or a Damon Arnett out there this year, but they, they should have been better than they were and they didn't give themselves a chance to be better than they were. You could you could scheme you could scheme away some of your less talented issues, but when your when your scheme is bad and your players aren't at the level you need them to be, it's just a recipe for disaster.
0: No, it was it was not the right personnel and not the right sets and yeah, against one of the best offenses we've probably ever seen in college football you probably understand what result you're going to get. I think if there's a positive you're going to take from last night, I would look at it like this. This team lost to Clemson last year. It was devastating for all the guys involved. It was priority number one for them all year, I think, to get that revenge. Maybe the national championship had precedent in that they, they were not precedent, but uh, they, you know, maybe they wanted the championship more than to be Clemson, but I'm sure they probably figured that they were going to have to be Clemson to, to, you know, get there. Um, They got their revenge. They got it in exemplary fashion and I'm glad they got to feel good about it for a week before Alabama basically put them back in the same feeling, you know, that they had about Clemson last year. Um, Although I am sure it's probably a little bit different when you get blown out versus when you lose on, you know, one last second miscalculation. Um, but I, this team proved this year that you know they could take something like a devastating loss like that and turn it into something to motivate them to go back and redeem themselves the next year, and they got it done. And I think if you are looking at it from the perspective of, you know, if you ask yourself, was this season a success? um really nobody should have been playing college football this year the only reason there are only two reasons that Ohio State should have been playing to begin with and that was to win the national championship or to get their revenge for last season and I think that in a year like this if you accomplish even only one of those goals I think it's fair that, to call the season a success so I'm I'm very comfortable calling it a success and not only am I comfortable doing that I feel very very good about the direction of the guys next year. I know there's gonna be a lot of youth but I mean there's a lot of guys that were on that bench last night and still a lot of guys that played in the game too that are that this wound is fresh and it's it's gotta sting like crazy given how they thought they were gonna compete in this game I think it's just gonna motivate the whole team to work that much harder and uh, that for a lot of guys that are young, I think that that'll pay dividends if not immediately next season then certainly the the year following when guys are more seasoned and prepared to make a really legit run at the at the national championship again we'll see how next year goes but I think the future you know irrespective of recruiting anything else after last night I think that the guys are going to be very motivated to come back and work and you know prove that last night was more of an anomaly than anything. Yeah,
1: I absolutely agree. You know, um, Ryan Day obviously has the program moving in the right direction. And look, I mean, Alabama two years ago got blown out by Clemson 44-16 to in the national title game. That was two years ago, yeah. and now here they are as the best team in the country. So it's not unprecedented what happened last night. You know, these blowouts in the college football playoff happen. Uh, even when the teams are almost equally talented, these things happen. You know, sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw, and that happened to Ohio State last night, but... Like you said, there's going to be a lot of youth next year. There might be some growing pains. Obviously, you're losing Justin Fields, who's about to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, and a bunch of other guys around him on both sides of the ball. But they've got their recruiting's been really good. It's honestly almost better than it ever has been under Ryan Day, and we'll start to see those guys start to flow in here in the next few years. And while next year might not be you know, an elite team. They could be. We don't know. It's going to be a lot of a lot of unproven guys, but who knows? Maybe it all comes together. But in the next few years, you're going to see some some really good Ohio State teams. This team will be a perennial playoff contender. I don't think they're going anywhere. This loss is going to knock Ohio State out of the the upper echelon of college football teams. They'll be just fine in the long run. I know there's, there's a lot to be excited about. It Obviously, you know, not, not everyone's feeling great today, waking up on Tuesday morning after what happened last night. But Uh, These things happen. You know, Alabama, we've been saying it from the beginning. Alabama was the best team in the country. They proved it. You just kind of got to tip your cap and and move on and hope that things get better moving forward. I kind of joked earlier about how, you know, Ryan Day's coaching trajectory started his first year, made the playoffs, lost the first round. Now, his second year, he made the playoffs, won the first round, lost the national championship. So the natural progression is that they win the national championship next year. So we're all good.
0: That would be certainly nice to see, especially from what's he going to be, sophomore CJ Stroud or what, redshirt freshman Jack Miller? Ma- are, fr- are they both freshmen? Did one it's of them redshirt? Be, I don't know.
1: Uh, well, no, I don't think either did. Well, no. this year, I don't know if the, how this year works because it didn't count. Right. But, uh- Stroud and uh Jack Miller will both be in their second year, and then you have uh Kyle McCord coming in as a five star freshman, so right. there's going to be a very good three man battle for that quarterback job. And I imagine that the guy that wins it's going to be pretty darn good,
0: yeah. He'll be pretty happy with uh his supporting cast, okay. Um, there's I've got one more question for you because there's one name we haven't mentioned yet, and then uh we'll we'll close with you know final thoughts on the season, so um. Sean Wade lost a lot of money last night and uh, really over the whole course of this season. uh, Got roasted in the Penn State game, got roasted in the Indiana game, and had a really bad second half against Clemson. And then last night, well, you saw what Devonta Smith did. Um, I think my favorite way they tried to cover Smith last night with Wade was (laughs) – When they had Wade go back to slot, and they had him jam Devonta Smith at the line, and then they had Banks playing an outside receiver who hung back at the line of scrimmage for a screen, and then after Wade jammed Devonta Smith, he dropped in to cover the uh, screen, and then I guess Banks was supposed to follow Devonta Smith over the top, But then Smith just kept running towards the middle of the field and he had no one within 10 yards of him. And Wade was just kind of sitting back at the line of scrimmage like, did I really just let that guy go all the way into the middle of the field by himself? Um, So, I mean, Kerry Coombs didn't do him any favors last night, but obviously Wade had more than his fair share of difficult moments. Um, He he got kind of unfairly criticized by Kirk Herbstreet on – one of the rush—I don't know if it was rushing—but on one of the the pre-snap motion touchdowns that Devonta Smith had, I guess he was worried about Smith cutting back again, as he had on one of the earlier touchdowns, and because of that, he wasn't running full speed. And you know, Kirk Herbstreet decided to lay into them for that, and I'm sure that a lot of people watching the game probably thought negatively of him just you know based on that. Um, but he could technically come back next year. Um, he definitely has stuff he needs to improve on. I think most people that have watched Ohio State would assume that he his fate at the next level is probably back in the slot where he was really good last year. Um but you wonder if maybe he wants to, you know, develop himself a bit more as a corner so he can become that outside guy. Uh there's definitely ability in there based on what we saw last year, but it it certainly didn't translate this year. And obviously, with Coombs being a defensive backs guy, it's certainly concerning that he wasn't really able to um, help Wade make that transition. So, that's a very long winded way of me asking you, Gene do you want Sean Wade back on this team next year?
1: Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting decision for him. I don't think he really quite closed the door yet. I think he said he's going to kind of talk it over with his family and weigh his options. I, I think there's no way that he's a first-round corner anymore. I don't know if he's even a first two-round corner. He was, um, he was not great this year uh, in any way. Uh, it's it's tough to change positions. He's moved from the slot to the outside. It's way harder. You're covering the other team's top guy most of the way, and it's a, it's a much harder thing to do is guard that outside guy but at the same time he did struggle and you know it was it's not really fair to him he didn't have a real off season to even transition it was the whole weird pandemic stuff going on so it's it's the hardest way he possibly could have learned on the job to play outside corner I do think there's a very realistic chance that he comes back and kind of in a Damon Arnett kind of way where he comes back to try to get that one last year whether he he thinks he could learn in a full off season the the outside better or if he just wants to go back to the slot where he excelled last year um, I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I do think he's he's got a, a decision on his hands. If he would have played just average this year, I think he probably would have left either way. But th- with the amount of struggles he saw, and especially in the big games where like everyone got to see him on a national stage, like against the Indiana and against Alabama, like this, uh, I do think there's a, a good shot he comes back. And if he's gonna come back, I think you definitely take him. I mean, we've seen the talent. We saw it in 2019. It's there. He was he was a lockdown guy that year, next to Okuda and Arnett. And he was probably the second best guy between those three guys. And the other two guys went in the first round of the NFL. So the talent is there. Uh, It's just up to him whether he wants to come back. And obviously Ohio State would welcome him back with open arms if he makes that decision. But um, it'll definitely be something to watch this offseason. And I I do think there's a, a good chance he... You know, his dad's a pretty outspoken guy. He's always... Uh, talked highly about Sean Wade, but he's always also humbled him and said, you know, he's, he's, he put out a highlight back when he was coming out of high school. I'm pretty sure of like all of his his missteps just to try to keep him humble. So his dad's a pretty, pretty fun guy like that. And I'm sure they'll have a good spirited conversation about whether or not he should leave. And uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely intrigued by it. And I, I know that Ohio State would definitely want him back because they, they know they could probably get that talent out of him one way or another.
0: Well, if that blurb about missteps is true, I'm sure Mr. Wade Sr. is already cutting up the film from last night's game to send to his son. Um, it's going be, gonna to be a long tape. <laughs> yeah, um, But do you want him back is my question. Do you want him back, Gene.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're got, you're not. There's not a lot of experience on this team at corner, and they've got some good freshmen coming in. But it's going to be the same probably trio next year of Banks, uh, Brown, and then if Wade came back, he'd be the third guy. So uh, I think you definitely want him just if not for anything else, just to have that experience, especially since all of those guys now have playoff experience on top of just playing a full season or what was left of a full season this year. I think you get, you know, none of these guys got. The chance to play the 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 walk the walkthrough games early in the year. They didn't get to play the, a max school and, and a team that they're going to beat by fifty and kind of just worry about technique rather than the score of the game because you know you're going to win. And I think that's all really important the development of these young guys. And so if they all come back next year, they get a full off season. They get the a full schedule. Uh, I think we'll see big improvement across the board from all three of those guys. And I'd love to have Sean Wade back if we got anything close to the twenty nineteen Sean Wade that we saw.
0: I I actually hope he comes back um, because I, I think there's still a great player in there and to what you alluded to, um, you know this this was probably the worst season ever for you to learn a completely new way to play the position you've been playing. Um, so yeah, he definitely had to learn that on the fly and it didn't make it easy. And uh, we we talked about it at various points this season, but. I don't think Coombs really did him any favors with scheme either. Uh, He was, you know, at at various points he would be playing two yards off, no yards off, 10 yards off, and, you know, man zone, whatever. He just – he wasn't really, I think, able to get into a rhythm in coverage just because they kept – I don't know if they were experimenting with him, trying to find where he was going to be more comfortable, and they just couldn't find the sweet spot. I don't really know what it was, but he definitely was not getting put in a position to succeed by Coombs for a lot of the year. Um, so I I wonder if, you know, they can go back to the drawing board and maybe figure out where he, you know, kind of fits best in terms of pre-snap alignment and what else he needs to do to, you know, kind of stick better on receivers. Um, it's certainly, you know, going outside from the, the slot is, is quite an adjustment. So I, I don't really harp. I've tried not to harp on him too hard. I've been pretty nice to him this year, just cause I know a lot of where he's gotten lit up has been in garbage time. But, uh, yeah, that, that first half was, was not garbage time last night. That was just, uh, that was the part of the game where you need to come to play. And he, uh, he just couldn't keep up and I was, that was a shame, but I hope he does yeah, come back. well
1: there's a there's a couple of guys on this team that are gonna have some interesting decisions moving forward nFL draft wise you got someone like Haskell Garrett who could potentially go or come back um obviously you know Trey sermon Trey sermon i guess could technically come back because this year didn't count, but i think he he's made his money and he should be like a maybe like a third or fourth round running back with the how well he played maybe even like late second because he looked really really good at the end of the year hopefully his injury isn't too serious i mean they speculated it was a collarbone i don't know if they ever confirmed that but that's what it looked like at the time so i assume that's what it is and that shouldn't be anything that really lingers too far really inhibits his running ability so that's that's good um but yeah i mean there's a couple dudes you look at uh most most of the seniors will be gone even though they have the ability to come back it's just not fair to the underclassmen on the roster to keep all those guys around for another year as much as i'm sure you know certain linebackers would like to stay around for another year um but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see this this roster next year. It'll be a lot of fresh faces, and uh, it'll be another fun season to look forward to of Ohio State football, as it usually is.
0: Yep, I will say Haskell Garrett's a senior, so Togiai's is gonna to assume that I guess DT one role himself next year. But yeah, Garrett will be missed. Is
1: Togiai is Togia not going to the NFL?
0: I believe he's a junior. I hope he comes back. I think no, he would go- pro- if he's a ju- if he's a junior, he's gone. I think he's probably gonna be a pretty good pick. So I would go if I'm him. I but I hope he comes back. If, if Haskell was a junior, I would still want him to leave just because the man got shot in the head like three or four months ago and uh, needs to go get paid immediately, especially after an, the All-American season he just had in wake of that. Um, but, yeah, it would be great if Togiak could come back. But, you know, even if they end up losing both of them, I mean, Larry Johnson's one of the best at his job. And uh, he, I, I, I remain supremely confident that they're going to, in terms of, you know, bodies that they can roll out in terms of having enough guys, he's going to have enough guys up to that standard that I think they're going to be fine. It's just going to – the question is just going to be breaking that upper echelon of talent to really get the pass rush back to where it was the last few years. I think a lot of that hinges on Zach Harrison and how they're able to develop him in the upcoming offseason, but it will be interesting to see. But I – um yeah, I, I feel reasonably good about the offense going forward the defense I'm kind of holding my tongue until Sean Wade comes back and the coaching situation gets figured out. I don't really want Coombs to come back. Um, he's. I would think he's probably going to stay just because it, it, it looks really bad if you bring a guy back for a second stint and then kick him to the road after one season. And, I, I mean, he is still a great recruiter and a lot of the players seem to like him a lot. So I don't think that, you know, other than... Putting out one of the worst schemes in a national championship game, um, I, 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 it should be a fireable offense, but I think that there's other context here that keeps it from really getting that far.
1: I'd, I'd love to keep him on staff as just the defensive backs coach yeah. and then, like, have someone else call the plays, like maybe a Greg Madison who has some experience there or if you bring in, you know, someone externally. But I don't know if he's, you know, ready to make that jump to full-time defensive coordinator with the way he's schemed up his guys. We've seen, you know, he's as you said, he's a great recruiter. He's awesome. He brings a ton of energy to the team. You know, he, he's made some really—all of his defensive backs, he's, like, coach at Ohio State, have made it to the NFL. So he obviously knows what he's doing in terms of corners and safeties. But when it comes to calling— the defense as a whole, th- there seems to be some issues there and it'll be interesting to see how they maneuver the staff to change that at all or if they just move forward with the same and he just gets better as he moves into year two in that role.
0: Yep. All right. Yep. Well, we are, I believe we're creeping up on, we're a little bit past 45 minutes at this point, I think. Um, so uh, we've... We've lamented plenty uh, but i i just want to ask you this is this is being the last one for 2020 2021 you got any any final thoughts on this team you want to share
1: huh no i mean like, like we touched on earlier in this podcast um it, it was nice to have football at all it was obviously a good escape in 2020 and these players went through a lot to make it happen so we're obviously very appreciative of everything they did just to put a product on the field. You know, it wasn't really fun for anybody involved. There were no fans. There was no band. There was none of the usual pageantry that comes with college football. It took a lot of, a lot of that aspect out of it. And, you know, towards the end there, a lot of the weeks we were more worried about, you know, who was out with COVID than what the opponent was. And so that, that sucked a lot of the wind out of the season too, but you know, everything involved, you know, we got to national championship game. You can't complain about that in any season. There's very few schools in the country that could do that. And, uh, Overall, it has to be considered a successful season. You took down Dabo Sweeney, the big bad wolf over there, the man who talked all that crap. You got him got him good. You beat him by a lot. And you just ran into the best team in college football at the wrong time and had a bad game, and it happens. But other than that, overall, it was fun. Uh, it was it was fun to watch. You know, Justin Fields, incredible. Uh, he'll, he'll have a great career in the NFL, hopefully. A lot of guys on this team that are going to move on should hopefully have great careers. We'll get to watch them on Sundays moving forward. And then the guys coming back are, are also good. So it'll be, you know, past, future, present. It's all it's all good. Nothing to really we, – we complained for a good half hour, 40 minutes of this podcast, but it's – I promise you were positive moving forward. Mostly positive.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's. I still want to see, you know, personnel changes and who comes back and whatnot before I start feeling super over the moon about next season. But um, even with next season's growing pains, long-term future still excellent. Um, you know it's easy to be critical of Ryan Day after a game like that, but you, I think you framed it well. Guy in his first full season as a head coach made the college football playoff, and the next year follow that up with a national championship appearance. So losing to probably the best college football coach ever, uh, arguably the best football coach ever, Nick Saban, um, not exactly one to you know hang your you know hang your head about. And I, I, I just feel good that there's, I, I, I feel good about the, the trajectory of the, of the program overall. I think that within the next three to four years, it's, it's reasonable that this team's going to win another national championship. Um, And I, I, I'll be curious to see as Ryan Day keeps, you know, doing really well in this role, if. There's ever going to be, you know, people from the NFL that are giving him a call. Maybe it'll take another few years or so, but I'm wondering if he's going to have to start f- fending off those calls soon. You know, maybe those start coming when he finally wins the big one. Um, but we'll we'll see. But I I, I I think
1: those calls are already probably coming. Yeah. He just doesn't want to leave yet. I think he's good. He's, he knows he's built something here that he wants to see play out. And like you said, he probably does want to win at least one before he even thinks about that. But I mean, I think there's NFL teams that if they if they were told today they could get Ryan Day as their head coach, there's a lot of teams that would take him in the NFL right now. He's a very good football coach. He's a smart man. He seems like a general good guy on and off the field. So I'm sure an NFL franchise would love to have him. And hopefully that's not for another decade after he's won multiple championships
0: in Columbus. Well, my understanding is the Big Ten coach everyone's calling right now for the NFL is Pat Fitzgerald. So I, I, I wonder awesome. if anyone's even ringing up Ryan Day, especially I think maybe you give Day at least a, a day to grieve and then call. Call him and see if maybe he wants to make the jump into the pro leagues. But I don't the know. thing
1: about Pat Fitzgerald is that like he's kind of brought Northwestern to the highest they could be. Like he's made it to the Big Ten championship twice, and like he's just he's lost to Ohio State both times. But what are you going to do? You're Northwestern. So I, I think he's kind of hit his ceiling as a college football coach at Northwestern. So him him making the jump to the NFL would make more sense to me. Whereas Ryan Day still has things he'd probably like to accomplish at Ohio State.
0: I'll tell you this as a Chicago guy. That that guy, unless the Bears job becomes available, which it very well could, but unless the Bears job is is coming through, I, I find it hard to believe that guy would leave his alma mater where he is, you know, basically has lifetime clout and uh an incredible amount of influence and they have uh, Northwestern certainly doubled down on their athletic department in recent years, but this is not a Wildcat uh, football podcast. This is a Buckeye football podcast. So, um, future's bright. Game was bad. Uh, Borland is gone. We'll see what happens with Coombs and Wade and a few others, but uh, feel good about the recruits. Support Justin Fields and the other Buckeyes going to the NFL wherever they may end up, even if Fields ends up on the Jets. And, uh, yeah, this – feel good about the season. Try not to think about too much about last night. Um, You know, there's a saying, great Dr. Seuss quote, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Don't cry because Ohio State lost the national championship. Smile because they finally got their first win over Clemson and got revenge on Evil Davo. So I think overall, season was a win. You seem to agree. And uh, I think we can shut the book on this one. So 2020, 2021, you were uh, certainly a year. And uh, I can't say you'll be missed, but uh, we will certainly miss more than a handful of players on this Ohio State football team. And uh, it has been a pleasure getting to watch them. And Gene, it's been a pleasure getting to uh, discuss them with you on a weekly basis so thanks very much for hanging out with me this year and to all our listeners thank you for hanging out with the hangout in the holy land podcast we sincerely appreciate it and uh yeah we will be back next season with fresh crop of characters and a uh, whole lot of football to speculate about so for the last time i'm george eisner for gene ross and thank you very much for tuning in we'll be back next year take care of bucks fans